I want to continue in a study in Ephesians that I'm titling Resolute, Determined to Live Like a Disciple. Resolute. Are you a resolute person? Are you determined to live like a disciple? Would you consider yourself a determined person? Anybody would say, yeah, I'm pretty determined. Yeah, Dave Roach is pretty determined. You have to be a wrestler, man. That is a hard thing to do. I was in the wrestling dorm at Liberty University. They beat on me like a rag doll. Those guys are tough. I was not resolute. They were resolute. Wrestlers are. Anybody else who say you're pretty resolute, you're determined? Here's some words that are also to define resolute. Unwavering. You're an unwavering person. You're firm. It's do or die time. That's a resolute person. Here's one, hell-bent. You are hell-bent. Do you want that as the nickname? That's pretty tough, huh? Single-minded, staunch, and fortitude. All right, here we go. Thumbs up or thumbs down. You're gonna see some images on the screen. Thumbs up for resolute. Thumbs down for not resolute. How about this first person? What do you think? Thumbs up, thumbs down. What do you think? Thumbs up, resolute, determined. Rambo, come on, for sure. All right, how about the next one? Thumbs up, thumbs down. What do you think? Pee-wee, nah, not so much, resolute. How about the next one? Anybody know who that is? That's Jabba the Hutt. Thumbs up, thumbs down. No, he needs keto, right? He needs a little bit of CrossFit. He's not determined. And then one more. Oh, come on, come on. Thumbs up, resolute, determined. You got to see that movie, not for kiddos that are, I think it's PG-13. I want to turn to chapter 3 of Ephesians. We're going to continue on. Chapter 3, verses 1 to 13 I do have Philippians 3, 12 to 13. If you could bring that up, Jenna. Here's a verse that the apostle Paul said about himself. Not that I've already obtained this or I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. Thumbs up for Paul, resolute. Thumbs down for Paul, right? Thumbs up for the apostle Paul. He's a resolute man. And he's writing to the Christians in Ephesus, and they want, he wants them to understand what it means to be a disciple and how do you remain in a determined state as a disciple. And so the whole book of Ephesians is talking about this. We've made it to chapter 3, verses 1 to 13. I've titled this section, The Mystery of God's Plans. The Mystery of God's Plans. Everyone like a good mystery, right? Are you the one that watches? What are those TV programs? It's called Investigative something or other. Yes, and all of those. They're so popular. We like mysteries. I don't know about you, but back in the day, if you could bring that up, Jen, this is an old 80s program. Does anybody remember this, Unsolved Mystery? Didn't that guy have the creepiest narrator's voice? I was just a kid, and I was like terrorized to watch the show, but I was so interested in it. How about this one here? This is the Hardy Boys and Nancy Drew Mysteries. Does anybody remember reading those books or watching the TV program? Did any of you ladies like have a, a crush on, well, you know, Sean Cassidy? Come on. There we go, confession time. I watched this show all the time because I loved mystery, uh, but also at the end of the Hardy Boys, there was the executive producer. And do you know what the executive producer's name was? Christopher Crowe. I used to watch that. I was like, yes, yes, look at that. I mean, I was just a little kid, but I made it on TV, right? So we're talking about the mystery of God's plans because God's plans are at times shrouded in mystery. There'll be things that'll come into your life and you're not gonna be able to figure it out right away. But in time, God is gonna reveal some things that are gonna be profound. But you have to be able to make it through those seasons, not giving up, not turning on the Lord, not getting discouraged, because you need to be resolute in the midst of all those 
seasons of life when the plans of God aren't always that clear for you. That could be something traumatic, uh, tragic, a loss. It could be maybe you lost your job or a diagnosis or or maybe it's a relational conflict or something like that. And and, and you're going to be like, why God? Why? And I don't understand why this is going on. Listen, there's some mystery to the Christian life. And you're going to see a mystery here that's been shrouded for centuries, but it's being revealed to the apostle Paul and to the church. And that church would be you and I as well. The mystery of God's plans. I want to show you two principles in these verses that'll help you to have confidence when you're not really sure about the plans of God for you. Now, there is a plan that we need to look at here. It's an objective plan in the text. And then what we're going to do is I'm going to principalize that because this is how the word of God is applied. You give the context, the interpretation, then you can principalize it as long as it's connected to the interpretation of the text. You don't want to go outside of that just to get principles and uh, application. You don't want to do that. You don't want to go too far that way. But I want to give you some principles to them on how you know and how you can have confidence that the plans of God, and how many people know that God's ways are not always our ways, right? How many people know that the plans of God sometimes are really something that you did not even know or see for the longest period of time? But in his time, he reveals it. So here's number one. I want you to see this. Confidence comes by the illumination of the plan. The illumination of the plan. This is in verses one to six. The plan has already been given. It's in chapter one. Paul said this. It's the plan of redemption. It's the plan of a God from eternity past moving upon a humanity, electing them, and then putting them in what is known as the church. And it's Jew and Gentile. And this plan has been unfolding. We're called predestined in chapter one, verse 11. Every believer in Christ has been predestined according to the counsel of his will, And he moves through chapter one to the praise of his glory, he says in verse 14 of chapter one. And then he lays out election. He lays out that you've been chosen before the foundation of the world. So we have election, then we have redemption, and then we have inheritance. And this is where he wants the Ephesians to go. It's like, wow, this thing is unbelievable what God has done. He's unfolding a plan that includes this gospel of salvation. And he wants them to really grasp a hold on this important truth. Chapter one in verse 14, he mentions it as a plan for the fullness of time. And why is this plan? It's to unite a people. It's to unite a people to God in relationship. That's conversion, that's salvation. But we saw he also wanted to unite Jew and Gentile. And both of those are impossible if it weren't for the grace of the Lord. And this is why salvation needs to be understood as from the Lord completely separate from man. God initiates, God moves, God selects, God chooses, God redeems, God sanctifies, God is doing it all. He brings you all the way to glory. This is a work of God. And then the work of Jew and Gentile was an impossibility in that time that would never even comprehended in the Jewish mind that a Gentile could come into the temple of God. But that's the gospel, and Paul's unfolding this wonderful plan from before the foundations of the world. He says it's the immeasurable greatness of his power, and he's just drilling that home. He wants to pound that nail right down inside of this important book called Ephesians. And he wants them and us to know that it's the power of God that saves. It's the power of God that reconciles. It's the power of God. And Scott was singing about that. Do we really understand the power of God? I mean, mountains can fall, and they can be moved out of the way. 
And I hope that you're experiencing that in your Christian life. And by the end of our study in Ephesians, this would become more of a reality to all of us. I love what it says in chapter one, verse 19. It says, according to the working of his great might. But there's this illumination. Now watch this. This is important. It's divine awareness. This is where God is going to open up your blind eyes. This is where God gives us this ability to understand into spiritual realities. And there is no way that we can do that in our flesh. There's no way, Paul says, that we can figure it all out in our own strength. It has to be a revelation. It's exactly how you got saved. You got saved because God opened your understanding so that you can see the gospel, that you can see Jesus crucified, risen again from the dead, sending to heaven, sending the Holy Spirit to dwell inside of you. You didn't figure that out. It wasn't because you had a high IQ. It wasn't because you got straight A's in, in, in high school and college. You didn't figure out salvation. God revealed that. It's illumination. God is giving you this divine awareness. He says in the text that we looked at a couple of messages ago that we were Gentiles in the flesh, that we are the uncircumcised. These are you and I, unless you're Jewish, but most of us here are Gentiles. We're separated from God, alienated, having no hope without God in the world. But he says, but now in Christ, this is chapter two, verse 13, but now in Christ, the dividing wall of hostility has been broken down. This is a wonderful truth. And we both have access, Jew and Gentile, in one spirit, watch this, in one spirit to the Father, chapter two, verse 18. And that was a phenomenal truth for them to grab a hold of. So we're not foreigners anymore. There's no more fighting. We're not in the flesh. It's a miracle of God from beginning to end. And oh, Ephesian Christians, would you grab a hold of this truth? And Christians at Harvest Reading, grab a hold of this truth. And then he goes to chapter three, verse one. Look at there. Here's the text. Chapter three, verse one, he says, for this reason. Do you see it there? He says, for this reason. Now, what is he talking about? Well, he's given us chapter one and two. And he's just laid out some of the things that I just reviewed with you about these, this great plan unfolding, and it's a mysterious plan, but you need the illumination of the Spirit, and that's why he prays. He prays that our eyes of understanding will be open. Now listen, if you have a non-Christian family member, here's what you need to do. You need to pray that God would open their understanding. You give them the gospel, yes, but if you don't see the Spirit of the Lord moving in them to open their eyes to the truth of salvation, they're not gonna get saved. And this is what we can do. We can intercede for them. Give them the gospel, but intercede in prayer. So Paul says, look at verse three. He says that this plan came by revelation, verse three. And he says in verse five, it was by the spirit of God. It was by the Holy Spirit that he was able to comprehend what this mystery is, what this plan is. Now look in the text. He introduces himself. It's kind of an odd situation here. In chapter one, verse one, he said, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ. But here in chapter three, says, for this reason, I, Paul, prisoner. Now, why is he doing that? He said, I'm an apostle in chapter one, verse one. Now he gives his name again, and he says, but this time I'm a prisoner. Well, there's a reason for that. This is an important truth. Paul is saying something about his condition and his circumstances. He's also wanting the Ephesian Christians to understand a great truth about the practicality of Christianity that the gospel is so powerful that it can go any situation or circumstance that you might be living. And so you might be in something right now, something really dark and difficult and deep, and it's just too impossible for you to get yourself out of. Paul's saying, listen, I'm in prison. This gospel that saved me that I explained to you in chapter one, 
this deadness that you and I were a part of, but God raised us out of that and saved us by his grace and mercy. This same gospel that reconciled Jew and Gentile, listen, I'm a prisoner, but I'm gonna be okay because the gospel works right here in this prison cell in Rome. Listen, you gotta hold on to that because some of you are just ahead of something really hard. And this word is for you. It's being delivered to you ahead of time because God is gracious to you. And then when this hard thing comes in your life, you're gonna be like, wait a minute, the gospel, it's there. It saved me. It reconciled Jew and Gentile. And Paul's saying, I'm a prisoner. And you know what? I'm okay with being a prisoner for the gospel, for Jesus' sake. He doesn't say he's a prisoner for Rome. He says he's a prisoner for Jesus' sake. What a great optimistic view. Why is he thinking like that? Because he understands that it's been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit. If you look at verse 14 of chapter three, he says, for this reason. Look at there. Do you see where I'm at, where I'm at now? Chapter three, verse 14, he says it again. For this reason, I bow. And that's where Paul goes to prayer. Do you see what he was gonna do back in chapter, or in verse one and two? He was gonna go to prayer, but he digresses. He's, a, he's like a random, you ever had a random thought? My family says, you have so many random thoughts. I'm going one direction, all of a sudden I go this way. Has anybody ever struggled with something like that and been labeled by that? And so this is what Paul does. I mean, we're in good company for all those who raised up their hand. So Paul is going in verse one and two, he's gonna go to prayer, but then all of a sudden he says, you know what? I need to give them something else. I need to give them more. I need to go back to something and do a little bit more review on this mystery, on this plan. So in 14 is when he actually goes to prayer, verse 14. But he digresses, there's a parenthesis here. And so he's gonna go into something that we need to look at, talking about the mystery. Paul is a repetitive person. My wife just said that I do Marco Polos, and if I do a Marco to you and I sound really repetitive, I truly am sorry. I, I don't know why I do that. I just, you know, I try, to, I try to speak and I try to, I guess, teach, and I think teaching is a repetitive thing. You have to repeat yourself over and over again. That's how we learn things. Anybody a teacher in the house, right? Don't you have to repeat things over and over and over again? And so I don't intentionally try to aggravate people on my Marco Polos, but I repeat myself quite a bit. I wanna prove this to you. There's gonna be a verse on the screen here. Let's read it out loud together. Are you ready? You're familiar with it, right? John 3, 16, for God so loved the world, nice and loud, that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. How about one more time? For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. How about one more time? Here we go. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. I just wanna do it 10 more times. Here we go, another. I mean, if we, okay, so somebody do that without looking at the screen, right? Can you do it? Go ahead, try it without looking. Isn't that wonderful? Repetition, repetition. Paul's repetitive. All through the book of Ephesians, he'll repeat himself over and over again. That's how we learn. And so you already knew John 3.16, right? Okay, well, we're gonna do something a little bit over the top. There's 176 verses in Psalm 119. We're gonna do that right now. It's gonna take us a while. And by the time we get through 176 verses, you're gonna know <laughs> Psalm 119. All right, let's bring it up there. Start from the beginning. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm just joking, but repetitiveness, repetitiveness over and over again. This is what Paul's doing. 
I want you to look at the text. He says this, on behalf of you Gentiles. He's a prisoner of Jesus on behalf of the Gentiles. Now, what does he mean by that? He doesn't want them to feel bad. But the Apostle Paul, you remember he was saved in Acts chapter 9 on the road to Damascus, and Jesus brought him to the mat. Of course, Paul tapped out. He couldn't, he couldn't win against Jesus. And so he gets born again in Acts chapter 9, and then he becomes a preacher, and he becomes a preacher to the Gentiles. Now, you can remember, Paul studied under Gamaliel. I mean, he was like the Pharisee of the Pharisees. If there was anybody that was at the top of the food chain, it was Paul. He was religious. He was a killer of Christians. He was a man to be feared, and then Jesus humbles him, and he gets born again. Then he becomes a preacher to the Gentiles. Now, that ticked off the Jewish community. Now, why? Because Jew and Gentile will not come together. But here's a man who was probably one of the most preeminent Jews in that day under Gamaliel, and now he is a preacher of the gospel to Gentiles, and he got some major pushback on that. In fact, Paul eventually would pastor a church in a city named Antioch. And the city of Antioch, in his congregation, much like our congregation would be in that period of time and maybe that geographical location, was filled with Jews and Gentiles. You remember the church in Jerusalem. And this is what Paul did. He's such an amazing guy. Paul goes to all the churches in Asia Minor and he starts collecting money. And he's going to collect money and he's going to bring it to Jerusalem. That's a Jewish congregation. So Paul is moving into this realm where it's very dangerous what he's trying to do. Preach Gentiles to the Gentiles that this gospel reconciles both, that we're one body now. This is called the church. It's a phenomenal thing that Paul was doing, but he's doing it by the immeasurable, watch this, the immeasurable greatness of his power. That's what he says there in the text. And then in verses three, four, six, and nine, he mentions a mystery. There's a mystery going on here. This is a mystery that has been hidden, not revealed until now, he says. This is a mystery that is unfolding. Here's the definition of a mystery from a New Testament perspective, and I think this is a very accurate definition. A truth because of its character, cannot be arrived at by human intellect or ability. Let me repeat that. Listen close. Stay focused here. This is important. A truth, because of its character, cannot be arrived at by human intellect or ability. In other words, we don't have what it takes to understand the mystery that Paul is talking about here. It needs to be revealed supernaturally is where he's going. Let me just show you on the screen here one of the worst, worst inventions in all of history. If you could bring that up. Does anybody remember this? It was just, it was abusive, uh, child abuse for sure. And so I would try to do the Rubik's Cube and, and I was just so fired up that I could try to figure this thing out and I'd be working on it real hard. Remember the definition of mystery? It was a mystery, the Rubik's Cube for me. And there's no ability, there's no human intellect that can figure this out. And if I got one side of that Rubik's Cube, I was so excited. I just wanted one side. But then there were those guys and those girls, and they're like, boom, and they're done. Were you one of those? Because if you are, nobody wants to raise their hand on it. Were you one of those guys, John? Oh, my, 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 my. I didn't have what it took to un unveil or reveal the Rubik's Cube mystery. And if you were to get me a Rubik's Cube, I still can't to this day. Is anybody else in the house with me on that one? You want to, they're not going to leave me up here alone, right? 
You guys have all figured out the Rubik's Cube. This is what Paul's talking about, the gospel. This is what Paul's talking about, this plan that has been unfolding, that's being revealed by the Holy Spirit. Here's what he said in Corinthians. The natural man receives not the things of the Spirit of God because they're spiritually discerned. The natural man would be the non-Christian. Now think about this, because if you have a non-Christian relative or if you're a Christ, not a Christian here, you're not gonna be able to figure out the gospel. It's just not gonna happen. Your, inte your intellect can't do it. You don't have the ability to do that, the word of God says. You need the Holy Spirit to open your eyes. You need the Holy Spirit to give you eyes to see. Remember, Jesus said that a lot about the crowds that he was preaching to. Some of them, of them would have eyes to see and others they would not. Some of them would have ears to hear and others would not. The ones who heard, the ones who saw, they, they saw and heard because God was gracious and merciful to them in that moment of time. And he left the other ones to not experience sight or hearing. I don't know why. I'm not sure why. Again, that's in the mysterious uh, plans and purposes of the Lord. Why is it that some will sit in a congregation, one will respond and one won't? One will see and one won't. I don't know. I just keep praying for those who don't see that they will see and that they'll respond. The secret things belong to the Lord. That's Deuteronomy 29, verse 29. There are some mysteries that God will only know for all eternity. There are some mysteries that have been revealed and they're revealed to prophets and they're revealed to apostles. There are some mysteries, like the mystery that we're looking at here is being brought in clarity to the Apostle Paul, but he wants us to understand it. He uses the word insight in chapter three. I love this. He's going back and he's talking about chapter one, chapter two, moving into chapter three. He's talking about the spirit of God that is revealing this plan and this mystery. And what is the purpose and what is the plan? Verse six, notice it, verse six. Chapter three, here it is. The mystery is that Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. There's the mystery. The mystery is that Gentile and Jew would be one. You're saying, That's, what's the big deal about that? We've already looked at. The big deal is that it's miraculous. That this is a miraculous unfolding of the purposes and plans of God and he wants the Ephesians to grab a hold of it, to grasp this. This is for us as well. I hope it's exciting to you because it's a relationship that has been established by God in his grace, in his son, by his spirit, so that you'll enjoy him forever. Let me show you a couple of verses here that talks about the purposes and plans of God. Isaiah 25, 1 Thanks, Jenna. Here's what it says. Oh, Lord, you are my God. I will exalt you. I will praise your name for you have done wonderful things, plans formed of old, faithful and sure. The plans in God. Faithful and sure they are. Notice this one here. It's in Jeremiah 29, 11. You might be more familiar with this verse. Jeremiah the prophet said, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare, not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. Have you ever heard of that one before? I remember years ago when Lisa and I were uh, in a very difficult season, and this verse was important to us. We were like, Jeremiah 29, 11. The Lord really led Lisa to find that verse, and she says, look at this. This is something that we really need to hold on to, and so what Lisa and I did is we went to a Christian bookstore. There's not a whole lot of Christian bookstores left today because you can get everything online, so we went into the Christian bookstore, and we saw this. This was, 
just really speaking to us. It's Jeremiah 29, 11. And so you hang this on your wall. And so we didn't have the money at the time to buy this. And so it was, uh, I don't know, maybe 30 bucks. I can't remember, but we were in a tough season financially. And then Lisa and I looked at each other and we said, you know what, should we buy that? Should we buy that? We really need this in our house. And so we bought it. We, we invested the $30 and we brought it home and we put it on the, on the wall and we're like, God, this verse here, we're just claiming this verse in this season of our life that you have plans for us and purposes. God, that you're gonna do some great things in our life. We can't really see it right now. It's really hard. You know, it, we're, it's kind of like, God, it's a mystery. We know it's a mystery. We know that you're the one that's gonna reveal the mystery. But here's how he did it. He did it with tears. He did it with prayer. And he did it when we didn't give up. But he did it most of, of uh, the way he did it was by the Holy Spirit. It was the Holy Spirit that revealed this verse to us that God had purposes and plans for us that were just unbelievable. It wasn't too long after that that I, a friend of mine said, have you ever heard of Harvest Bible Chapel in Chicago with James McDonald? And I said, well, I'm familiar with James McDonald a little bit. Why don't you look uh, into that planting uh, a church with Harvest? And I, I went online. I didn't think that it was gonna become a reality and I just filled out a little questionnaire, totally forgot about it. About a month later, I got a phone call from Chicago and they wanted to talk to me and then they said they wanted me to fly out to Chicago for an interview and I went through that whole process, eventually got inside of Harvest and planted with them. Now listen, you gotta remember, the sign is on the wall, tears are flowing, it's a mystery. We're trying to figure this whole thing out, our life. And then God in his time and sovereignly was gonna reveal to us by his spirit what he was doing in our life. And he's not a respecter of persons. If he did that for me and my wife, he will do that for you. Wherever you are, wherever season you're in, however dark it is, however difficult it is, you're gonna get this revelation from the spirit of the Lord. God is the revealer of his mysteries. He's a revealer of his plans for us. Some of you, I think, are in the verge of giving up. You're feeling discouraged. I understand that discouragement. I totally get that. I remember sitting on a rock in the back of my in-law's apartment uh, house and the little apartment that we lived in. I remember that. I remember just frustrated with the Lord, thinking, God, I don't, I don't feel like my life's going anywhere. God, I don't understand what you're trying to do inside of me. And I would write in my journal, God, I don't get it, but I know in, in one, you know, down the road somewhere, you're going to reveal what you're doing in my life and Lisa's life. And so then when I'm in Chicago and there's 40 of us on this stage and they're honoring the church planters and there's 4,000 people standing to their feet and I'm standing there going like, how did I get here? I was just in awe of what God did. But listen, you gotta go through those times when it's dark. You gotta be in that place where it's really hard. You gotta be working through this stuff, trying to figure out the mysterious plans of God. But listen, it's gonna be by the spirit of Lord. You're not gonna be able to figure it all out. Doesn't matter what you're going through, it's hard. It could be really off the charts, really hard. You're not gonna be able to figure all of that out in your flesh. Does this make any sense? It has to be a revelation. It has to be you're faithful in the moment and then God just starts to download this wonderful truth inside of your heart and your mind. This is what he's doing to the Ephesians. This is what he did to Paul. He gave out this mysterious plan of the church, Jew and Gentile together, one body, for all eternity, worshiping the Lord. What an amazing plan. Number two, here's how you develop confidence in the mysteries of God's plans for us by the impartation of the power. Verses seven down to verse 13, Paul says the gospel. He's going back to the gospel. 
And this is wonderful. He calls it this gospel, this gospel, this, this truth, Jesus, suffering and dying and rising from the dead. This Jesus who went to heaven, sent his spirit to come and dwell inside. This gospel, this is the key. And this is why you live off of the gospel. It's just not salvation. Some of you might be thinking, well, gospel is just for my salvation. No, your gospel is for sanctification too. It's for you the whole way, all the way to heaven. So if you're in something right now, that power is not in our flesh. Remember that. The power is in the gospel. That's why we preach the gospel. That's why Paul's laying out this mysterious plan, that it's in the gospel, the power of God to reconcile a dead person like me to a living God, a Jew and a Gentile in the church. God did that. That's his power. And it's the same power that raised Jesus from the dead. It's an impartation. In other words, God shares that. He bestows it on you. You got to see it in the life of Moses. Go back to Exodus chapter three quickly. Exodus chapter three. This is a wonderful story of the impartation of the power of God in a man of God. In fact, he's known as uh, one of the greatest who's ever lived. So go to Exodus three. I don't have it on the screen. I want you to turn to it. We don't get too used to like looking at Bible verses on the screen. We won't bring our Bibles to church anymore. So go to Exodus 3 for those who have a copy of the scripture. Now, this is the story of Moses, and he approaches a burning bush in verse 1. Now, Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priests of Midian, and he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. Now, remember, Moses is in Egypt for 40 years. How long was he in the, in the desert of Midian for? 40 more. <laughs> so this guy is out in the desert for 40 more years. That's 80 years old. Moses' life really kicked into full gear at 80. So if you're getting up there in age and you're feeling like, wow, my life really hasn't done a whole lot for God, Moses started basically at 80 doing some pretty powerful things. So he's at this bush. It's the burning bush story. The bush is burning. Of course, it's not being consumed, he said. He said, I'll turn to it to see what's going on. And then the voice of God says to do what? Take off your sandals, right? The ground that you're on is holy ground. And then this voice comes out of the, the bush and it continues this plan. Now watch this. This is the plan in Moses' life. It's a plan that he would not have embraced. Probably was just too outrageous for even to come up with. If you look at verse 9, uh, let me see, I'm in verse 10. Look at verse 10, chapter 3. Come, I will send you to Pharaoh. This is God's plan. That you will bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt but Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? And then God said, I'll be with you. So the burning bush, the voice comes out. Here's the plan. It's unfolding in Moses' life. He's been there for 40 more years. Now he's 80 years old. And he's got this plan of going back to Egypt and he's gonna deliver the people of God under, from out from under the oppression and bondage of the Pharaoh. Moses freaks out. Moses is like, there is no way, God. There is no way. I don't even speak right. I can't speak. There's, there, I just can't do that. So if you move through chapter four, he gives a little demonstration of the power of God. And you remember Moses had a staff. He throws it down. It becomes a snake. Do you know what the Bible says there in chapter four? It says that Moses ran. He got scared it was a snake. I was walking my dog, and all of a sudden, there's this dead snake on the sidewalk, and I was like, whoa! And I was like, I didn't go in there and thing. Can you imagine Moses, one of the greats, 
and his staff turns into a snake, and then he picks it up by the tail, and it turns back into a staff. And then he puts his hand inside of his cloak, and it, his hand turns into leprosy, and he brings it back out, and it's healed again. Now watch this. This is important. God is giving a demonstration of the fact that he is with him, that the power is with him. So he moves down into verse 18. Moses went back to Jethro, his father-in-law, and said to him, please let me go back to my brothers in Egypt to see whether they are still alive. And Jethro said to Moses, go in peace. And the Lord said to Moses and Midian, go back to Egypt, for all the men who are seeking your life are dead. Remember, he was on the run because he killed that Egyptian, so he fled. Now, this is, again, 40 years later. In verse 20, so Moses took his wife and his sons and had them ride on a donkey, and they went back to the land of Egypt, and Moses took the staff of God in his hand. So Moses is carrying this staff. And then verse 21, and the Lord said to Moses, watch this, when you go back to Egypt, see that you do before Pharaoh all the miracles that I have put in your power. Now he's gonna stand before Pharaoh and this impartation of the power of God is gonna come over him, it's gonna come in him, and he's gonna stand before Pharaoh and do things that only God could have done. Listen, don't just read this story and think, well, that was Moses. The impartation of the power of God, Paul says, is for every Christian, every Christian, no matter what you're going through. The power of God, because Jesus rises from the dead, he said this in the text, that same power that raised Jesus from the dead is inside of us. So think about this. Your situation and circumstance, as hard as it may be, you're thinking, there's no way I can make it. I've thought that more than once in the last three years, being in Reading, more than once. Do you know what has sustained us? the impartation of the power of God. It wasn't our power. It was the Holy Spirit. The reason why you have made it as far as you have through your trials and tribulations is because of this impartation. I love where Paul goes. I'm going to bring it to a close. He talks about the unsearchable riches of Christ. This is in verse 8. And the riches of Jesus are just unsearchable. There's, there's so much to Jesus and who he was and who he is, and, and, and the person of Christ. It's called the doctrine of Christ, Christology. And if you study Christology, you'll start to move into realms of the person of Jesus that is just unbelievable because it, it, he's so unsearchable. There's so much about him. You get to know him, and then there's more to get to know him. Then you get to know him, and then there's more to get to know him. And it's a wonderful relationship. It's very thrilling. I'm kind of stuck on a series right now. Uh, you ever heard of The Curse of Oak Island, Right? Have you ever heard of this show? I am like stuck on this show. It's a little island off the coast of Nova Scotia. And uh, there's some treasure hunters and they've been looking for the treasure. Uh, this island, I guess, has some of the most spectacular treasures buried somewhere, right? They claim that the Ark of the Covenant is there. And I'm like, whoa, this is great. Just like Indiana Jones, you know? And so these guys are very, very passionate about trying to find the riches on Oak Island. They're spending millions of dollars to try to find it. It's fun to watch. And they find things here and there, and, 
But then I thought about my relationship with Jesus, the unsearchable riches of Christ. I don't know if I'll ever, ever, I could be on Oak Island for 200 years. They've been looking for treasure there, 200 years. You could spend 200 years with Jesus and still it'd be unsearchable because he's so unbelievable. This is what Paul's saying here. This gospel, this gospel of Jesus that he came to earth and he died on a cross and he came into our life and and this is the person that we know and we walk with. I like what he says in chapter three. He says, to bring light for everyone. This is Paul's mission. This is the, now the Ephesians mission and it's Harvest Reading. This illumination of the plan of the mystery that's been unfolding. Verse 10, it says that it's through the church. Notice it. This is how the mystery is unfolding in our day and age. It's through you and I. We're the ones who are, really have solved the mystery. It's been revealed. We figured it out by the spirit of the living God. It's in Jesus. It's in the gospel. He talks about the manifold wisdom of God. I like that word manifold. Uh, this is, I tried my best. There's a picture here, Jen, if you could bring that up. Because what we have here, he says that it was known to the rulers and the authorities right there. It says the manifold wisdom of God known to the rulers and the authority. Who are the rulers and the authorities? It's angels. Now, now Paul is saying that this mystery that has been held back from humanity until then, not even the angels of God. Now, remember, the angels were with God. There was a third that fell, right? They became demons. We're not talking about them. We're talking about the angels that were with God. And even the angels didn't even know the mystery. God kept it back from angelic understanding for some reason until Paul was getting it and the apostles and then passed down to them and then to us. But he says this manifold wisdom, they were, they were seeing in white. Think about this. It was almost like the angels could only see in white for centuries. And it's been revealed now to them as well. The only thing I can think of is a rainbow and all the brilliant colors that are in a rainbow. And if all you ever saw were, was in black and white, then all, of, then all of a sudden this rainbow appears to you. Be, that would be the manifold, the beauty of God. That would be the wisdom of God being unfolded and revealed to you so that you could see something. And it would just be like, this is incredible. And that's where the angels reacted. Because for centuries, the angels would have been like Jew and Gentile, never, never. Jew and Gentile would not happen. Can you see the angels up in heaven? There's no way I saw this coming. Because it was not revealed to them either. Do you know what? It's been revealed to us now in the gospel. So when you think about your lost family members, think about you as the one that is bringing this mystery that's been revealed now so that you can give it to them and let them know they can be a part of this. I love how he moves to the end of the chapter and he talks about the Jew and Gentile. We both have been given access to God. I read that verse earlier. And then he says this in verse 13, the last verse. So I ask you, talking to the Ephesians. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. In other words, they're upset. Their pastor is in prison in Rome. And Paul's saying, I just want you to know that I don't want you to be upset because what I'm experiencing here is well, well under the sovereignty of God and the providence of the Lord. And really what he wants the Ephesian Christians to understand and what you and I need to understand as we close here 
He wants us to understand that there's no circumstances so difficult that the gospel can't be the answer to that. Because if the gospel is the answer to you being dead in your sins, chapter 2, verses 1 to 10, and if the gospel is the answer to the Jew and Gentile, the mystery that has been held back for centuries and revealed in Jesus, that same gospel now will take care of me in Rome. I'm okay in Rome. And listen, beloved. The things that the Apostle Paul experienced far exceed anything any of us have ever experienced. And I know some of your stories, and I'm not minimizing your tragedy and your trauma, but the Paul, Paul was off the charts. And he even said the gospel. It's always the gospel. I live on it here in Rome, and I want you to know I'm going to be okay. So let me ask you as I close, are you familiar with this third person of the Trinity, the spirit of the living God? Because that's the one you have to get acquainted with, familiar with, is the spirit of the Lord. Because the plans that you're going through, the mysterious plans of God that you can't figure out, and they're too difficult for you in your brain to figure it out, go to the spirit of God. Listen, I'm gonna encourage you during this song that you would pray to the Spirit of God. You're saying, I should only pray to the Father. You can pray to the, the Trinity. You will not be in any kind of sin if you say, Jesus, I need you, or Holy Spirit, would you reveal to me why I'm going through what I'm going through? Would you reveal to me our circumstances? I really need to know. Ask the Holy Spirit. And then I would start claiming the power of God that's already in you. Just start, thank you, God, for the power. Thank you for the impartation. Let's all stand.